Last month, just about as Advent was beginning, an argument broke out among some of my friends about which movies can really, truly be counted as Christmas movies. Now, they weren't arguing about anything obvious, like A Christmas Story or The Santa Claus or Elf. No, they were disputing movies that maybe take place at Christmas time, but where Christmas is not really essential to the plot. Movies like Die Hard or Batman Returns. <laughs> they were debating movie classics like The Sound of Music that are almost always aired by major networks at Christmas time, but really don't have anything to do with Christmas at all. What really counts? as a Christmas movie. Well, it's a pretty dumb thing to argue about, if you ask me, given all the other things we can talk about in this world. But if we are going to have this argument, I would like to offer up my own unorthodox addition to the legitimate Christmas movie list. I would like to make a case for Groundhog Day. Now, hear me out because I have both liturgical and theological arguments to support my position. And they all have to do with our scripture reading for today, which Dong Wu just read for us. This reading, which is often assigned to the first Sunday after Christmas, tells the story of how Jesus and Mary, following Jewish law, brought their baby to the temple 40 days after his birth so that mother and child could present themselves to a priest for the ritual of purification. That ceremony marked the point at which mother and child emerge from that liminal life and death space that marks childbirth and earliest infancy and cross together the threshold back into normal life. When the time came for their purification, Luke writes, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to God. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. Now, from very early on, at least as early as the third or fourth century, the Christian community, the church, began to remember and to observe this event as a holy day. They called it the Feast of the Presentation. It was one of several holy days, including Christmas and Epiphany, that came to be associated with the incarnation of Jesus. Now, when did they celebrate the Feast of the Presentation? Well, they did their math. They thought, okay, if this ceremony took place 40 days-ish after the birth of the baby, then you just count 40 days ahead from Christmas, which brings us to February 2nd. And this worked out very well as a day to celebrate the Feast of the Presentation because, as it turns out, most people in pre-Christian agricultural parts of Europe already celebrated on that day. February 2nd is what's called a cross-quarter day. It's the midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. On February 2nd, people celebrated that from that point on, it was all downhill to springtime. They just might survive the winter. If spring came quickly, they could put their livestock 
back out in the pasture, they could get their first crops into the ground, and then they would be harvested earlier, and maybe their winter fuel would last all the way until truly warm weather arrived. Ah, but would spring come quickly? That was the question. How to know? Well, one fairly reliable method was to sneak up to a bear's den to see if there were any signs that the bears were coming out of hibernation. But this method was a little bit dangerous. So the custom emerged of attaching significance to the behavior of smaller and less dangerous animals. Badgers, for instance, or groundhogs. And so by the early Middle Ages, one could find villages all over northern Europe and the British Isles, where on February 2nd, the villagers would process to the church to celebrate the Feast of Christ's presentation all the while looking at the sky and discussing whether or not the groundhog would see his shadow on that day. So there's my liturgical argument right there. The Feast of Christ's presentation is the final holy day connected to the Advent and Christmas cycle of holidays, and the Feast of the Presentation has been linked to Groundhog Day for a thousand years at least. And for that reason alone, I would make the case for Groundhog Day making the list of movies for the Christmas season, though you probably want to watch it last. (laughs) But there's a theological reason as well. If you've never seen the movie, let me summarize the plot. Phil Connors is an arrogant Pittsburgh TV weatherman who gets assigned to cover the annual uh, groundhog event in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. And he is not happy about it. He is rude, and he is arrogant, and he is self-absorbed, and he has nothing but scorn for that small town and its inhabitants, and he treats his colleague and his staff with almost no consideration or respect. But then a snowstorm traps him in Puxatawney, and he wakes up the next day to discover that he has entered an endless time loop. He has to relive February 2nd over and over and over again. Now, as I said, he's a rude and arrogant man, and first when he realizes that he's stuck in an endless time loop, he gets even worse. His behavior becomes even worse. But gradually, by repeating the same day over and over, he gradually comes to see his life in a new way. He sees how his selfishness affects others because he has to watch it happen over and over He sees the opportunities for kindness and connection that he routinely has ignored. He sees the compassion he fails to extend. He sees what he has previously been unable or unwilling to see about himself, his life, his soul, his world. And as he sees that and begins to act on those insights, it changes him. And finally, when it changes him enough, he wakes up and he discovers that it is February 3rd. He has finally escaped the time loop and begun a new life. In the movie Groundhog Day, Phil Connors has to learn to see his soul and his life and his world clearly. He has to come to see the world through a completely new lens, in a completely new way. 
in order to move out of that endless loop that he is trapped in. A continual replay of the same old mistakes, the same old failures, the same old regrets. Our gospel story this morning, this story about Christ's presentation in the temple, the story of Simeon and Anna, is also a story about learning to see. When Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple that day, the crowds at the temple, most people present, simply saw another couple with a baby. Only Simeon and Anna had eyes to see that the baby in Mary's arms was really the longed-for hope of the people, the light of God coming into the whole world. Their whole lives, they had been waiting with hope. They had been waiting and watching. And this hope, that lens of hope and faithfulness, allowed them to see what God was revealing on that day. Simeon and Anna had already discovered what Phil Connors had to spend days in an endless time loop to receive. The eyes to see the power of God's love at work in the world. Eyes to see the power of that love that can move us out of our endless cycles of repeating the same mistakes and failures. That love that can break down the barriers we have imposed on our lives. That love that can truly change us and work through us to be a light in the darkness. Now, about the time of the Protestant Reformation, reformers like John Calvin abolished the celebration of saints' days and feasts like the presentation of Christ. And that's why, in most Protestant circles, we now read this story of Simeon and Anna right after Christmas. And maybe this is better, because it means that we usually hear this story in worship just as the new year is beginning. It means that we usually hear this story right at the time when we find ourselves wondering, will this year be different? Will this year bring anything new, or will it be just more of the same? In this new year, we wonder, will we find the courage and the strength to be different to make the needed changes in our lives, or will we continue to feel trapped in an endless loop of the same old mistakes and failures? In the coming year, where all community, our country, our world, make any move toward more compassion, more justice, or will we stay blind to the things that make for peace, trapped in an endless time loop, an endless cycle of violence and destruction. In the story of Simeon and Anna, God invites us to watch and wait with hope, to view our lives and our world with that lens of faith and hope that allows us to have eyes always searching for signs of the Savior, for glimpses of the light that God is sending into the world to enlighten all people. As the new year begins, this witness from Scripture invites us to open our eyes to see our lives clearly in the light of God's love and God's truth. In this story, Simeon sings, Lord, 
Let your servant now depart in peace according to your word. We usually interpret this as Simeon saying that now that he has seen Jesus, he can die at peace. But for us, if we take those words on our own lips, perhaps what it can mean for us is that having eyes to see Jesus coming into the world gives us the power to leave behind all that is keeping us trapped, holding us back, tying us to the ways of darkness and death. Perhaps if we take these words on our lips, we can see God's power to save and God's power to heal and change our lives and our world. Lord, let your servants depart in peace, go forward in peace, according to your word, for our eyes have seen your salvation. Amen. And now, this morning, at this time, we will receive the morning offering, mindful of God's